0: Okay, let's hear God's word. Um, Pam is going to read the first of that from 2 Timothy, chapter 3, and then Dave Thurston is, is going to read. Thank you.
1: 2 Timothy 3 verses 14 to 4 verse 5. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you... Keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Amen.
0: The second reading is from Hebrews 10 verses 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure blood. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Amen. Amen. Thanks be to God for His word, which Malcolm has chosen those readings and have been inspiring. Malcolm, Malcolm, come and share with us. Would you like the radio mic? <laughs>
2: mora. That's the only Afrikan I actually learned. Um, and when we're walking through the township, um, it means morning, morning, and we'd say it to people. Um, Herrick um, speaks fluent Afrikaan, <laughs> but uh, I didn't get that far. When Paul was facing execution in a prison cell, Almost 35 years after his Damascus Road conversion, he encouraged Timothy to continue his faithful ministry, despite any opposition he might face within and outside the church. Like Timothy, I had been tempted by youthful desires, where corrupt minds encouraged sinful acts, and where, just like today, a pleasure-mad society promotes love of self rather than love of God. When I look back on my youth, I know now that God had a purpose for me and that those teenage difficulties were God's preparation for that purpose. It was difficult for me at 61 to leave Laurie behind um, with the back problems that she had at the time as well and to travel over 6,000 miles to meet people I'd never met before. Particularly as for the last 34 years, we've always done everything together. And Laurie has also been my strength Particularly at times of difficulty. Laurie also didn't f- feel that she had a need to go. Plus, it would have cost us another £1,000 or so to get there as well. <laughs> I could have gone to Agape when Andrew went, um, but God had other plans. I was going through a rather messy redundancy, and at that time, we hadn't had Andrew's call by a sally about the can- container. <laughs> That's now history, as they say. Part of God's plan was that I would be made redundant. In full-time employment, I couldn't have been involved anyway. And from September 2009 to July this year, we spent hours and days on end, delabeling, repacking and praying. We prayed that what we were doing was worthwhile and that we'd reach the people that it was meant for. I can tell you, Laurie used to wake up in the middle of the night And she used to say, How are we ever going to sort it? And I used to reply, Don't worry, we'll get there eventually. I knew that we had to persevere with this, even though we were under pressure to give back the units that Big Storage had so kindly donated to us. I don't think they ever anticipated us having them for 10 months. If I'm honest, it was a frustrating project. I know several people helped collect and sort clothes. But in reality, only six people really know what went into the container. And we used to try and encourage ourselves. There's quite often not many inquired about how it was going. I know Andrew did and and various others, but that's what we felt at the time. And I know Andrew thought it would be delivered by Christmas 2009. (laughs) But everything's in God's time. And some of you might remember at a church meeting when I said the container wasn't going anywhere until the paperwork was sorted. Whilst we could sort the export documentation, the import documents had to be applied for by someone in South Africa. If you don't think God had his hand in this, there was over £80,000 of brand new clothing in the container. We hadn't anticipated this, but when it was offered, we gratefully accepted it from a Rotary friend. But with import duty on clothing into South Africa, running at 45%, This meant a minimum £36,000 of import duty. We prayed that we found a customs agent who we could trust and sort the paperwork as we had no money to pay for this the import duty or the VAT. And God provided us with Quinton February. I'm sure you all remember that name. (laughs) A fellow Christian who'd been a pupil at Groenberg High School. If I tell you that we paid less than £1,500 for the customs clearance delivery and lifting off of the container and that out of the 5,800 or so that we raised for the project that we still have a balance of over £350. Perhaps that would be good to start an Agape Trust with. Even when the container was delivered it took three hours to get the vehicle up the hill. Herrick was in Cape Town and Quinton made sure that fences were taken down. Trees had to be uprooted and a hardcore roadway was made and the driver, who could easily have gone away when he saw what the issues were, reversed up the hill to position the container where it is today. Before travelling to Agape, I made a presentation uh, in Somerset West, a very nice area, and I think Andrew, you've been there, haven't you? And it's to a rotary club who are present at the delivery of the container and they're hoping to get involved in the future. But on the way to the orphanage, they took me up to the Solowry's Pass project, which prepared me for my stay in Grabau. The route to Solowry's Pass goes past very lush vineyards. But as we entered this building, it was praise time, and it was a truly emotional experience. The lady on the left in the red skirt, Joyce, her daughter had died of HIV AIDS, and as she was dying, asked the mother to promise that she would do something for the young people of the township. She now runs a christian back project in this once derelict railway station, feeding and clothing over 200 people every day of the week and providing washing and sewing facilities at the centre. Just round the corner from there, a disabled lady, Pearl, feeds over 100 children in the morning before they go to school and another 100 after school from a meagre disability allowance. As well as providing a Christmas party for over 500 children. Travelling over Salowry's Pass, we left behind the sunshine and spectacular view of the affluent area of Western Cape and felt a drop in temperature as we came into the Elgin Valley area. This is where your vineyards, farms, and apple orchards are located. It suddenly clicked as to why Quinton's address was Appletiser Park. As we entered the Grabow and Pineview township, although most of the pines had now been cut down, you immediately realized why the area was labeled one of the most deprived areas of the Western Cape. Whilst there were some smart houses in parts of the neighborhood, there were even more areas of corrugated and wooden shacks. It was like coming into a place where time had stood still. We met Herit at Agape 4 and he showed us the new house and children's home. Absolutely fantastic building. And the shell of the new disability unit that would eventually be home for 40 children suffering from HIV, AIDS, cerebral palsy and other such illnesses. And opposite the house, the container. My first glimpse since we waved goodbye to it in July. <laughs> Herit explained that when they eventually moved from Agape 2 they would make a shoot where people could anonymously leave babies I was shocked to hear that currently a man standing in the community goes down if he offers a child up for adoption. So they prefer to kill the baby. We then visited Agape 3, Agape 1, and then what was to be my home for the week, Agape 2. I suddenly realised why my emails and responses from Agape took such a long time. None of the Agape homes are anywhere near one another and Herit and Ami are pulled between the different units as well as coordinating the building of Agape 4. They also have non-planned visits to hospitals at Caledon and Cape Town over an hour's drive away, sometimes in the middle of the night and suddenly things became more clear to me. Things that I thought important were insignificant when compared to the daily life-threatening issues involving the children. If you think most of the children have at one stage been suffered from HIV-AIDS, and quite often a lot of the ones that have been adopted are now in remission, which is amazing, and that's through their love. But these were issues that Harriet Amy, and the staff took in their stride. My accommodation was a chalet, and it's situated opposite a sippy house, for disabled children. James Willick spent a lot of time here in this special place. It must have been difficult for a young boy to go in there and he changed nappies and played for the kids whilst he was there as well. It was lovely to spend time and sing and play music for them and to pray with the staff. Amy in the picture is a Rotarian volunteer from Houston who's been there for 18 months. Sadly, her 13-year-old sister, Sarah, took her life in April while suffering from depression. I only found that out when I came back. That afternoon, I met Quinton and his wife, Margie. It was an emotional meeting. And he was overcome when I gave him the Bible we bought for him. And I knew from that time on that we'd be lifelong friends. We planned to meet up the following evening, when Anthony Hess and the members of Birchford High School, who had arrived the previous week, uh, were going to have a braai or a barbecue, although God had other plans. Mealtime with Herit, Amy, and the adopted children, all seven of them, plus Herit's daughter, Landy, is a hectic time, and what I call a sink or swim time. If you don't help, you don't eat. That night, I tried to sleep, but it was difficult. There were dogs from the township barking all through the night. Everyone seemed to have several dogs, despite having difficulty in feeding their families. I just read some more of The Shack. It was a book that Val White had given to Margaret, and then, Laurie, and then to Laurie, and she handed it me, ironically, as I was walking out of the house and en route to the station. How meaningful that book turned out to be for me. I eventually drifted off. Only to wait till my alarm at 5 a.m. We were going to pray for Grabau on the hillside overlooking the township. And I know, Andrew, you spent some time there as well, didn't you? There were about a do- dozen of us meeting for prayer. Although much of it was in Afrikaan, you knew what the prayers were. It was a strange feeling. And we prayed for Milani, who worked at Ab- Agape 4. He was under the spell of a witch doctor. We prayed in English and Afrikaan, and as the sun came up over the mountains, I realized that Agape was such a spiritual oasis in this deprived township. After breakfast, we visited the children at Agape 2 and 3, and went round the township. Here it explained the issues where they're building the new houses by Agape 4, which is a high-risk area, and new groups, not necessarily from the squats are coming into the area which is creating intertribal problems between corsas, coloured and blacks, Somalians and Zimbabweans ironically the men of the township don't want to work but the Zimbabweans do and some of those issues are similar to what we've got in this country at the moment where people who have never worked in their life are now complaining because people have come into the country and they t- say they're taking their jobs Nothing's different. Just after we took this picture, the men came over to us and demanded to know why we were taking pictures. Despite Herrick's explanation, it was worrying to say the least. And good job Laurie didn't know (laughs) what was doing. (laughs) Herrick said that people do get robbed and attacked, and although people are around, they see it as not being their business, and they turn a blind eye, even in broad daylight. We then went to Iraq and Beverly Hills the local names for the squat areas. We were invited in by the residents. This lady's husband was in prison and she was living from prostitution. There were hundreds of holes in the corrugated sheets where the shafts of sunlight shone through and the wind kept lifting the roof and this was a good sunny day. We prayed with her And as we left, Herit said he thought she would die as she would continue living this life. I felt so sorry for her as we left. We looked through the squat to the other side of the valley where there were nice houses and farms. Then at this desolate squatter camp where multicoloured wires crisscrossed, where people had tapped into the electricity supply, often with dangerous consequences. Herit then pointed out a lady in front of us and she said, she's a witch doctor. I was really taken aback. But we stood our ground as she passed by. We went into another John's house. John was from Lesotho. I told him that the ship that contained a travel on was called that. And he was really pleased. His house was lovely and clean and his garden was impressive. And he was somebody that came to church um, at Agape. We spent some time in prayer before leaving. Partly because the new houses that are being built, it's only people whose corrupt friends uh, provide for them, and he, he's way down the list. And when he gets near the top of the list, he suddenly gets put back to the bottom again. We called to briefly meet with Anthony Hess at Groenburg High School. The communication had been mixed up. And the barbecue with Birchford High had been the night before. <laughs> so instead suggested to Herrick that we collect and and some others and that we go and sort the container rather than leave it to them until Friday, which is what they said. I must admit, I hadn't realised that the only items taken out of the container were some pampers, a few clothes, the desks and chairs and the pallet for Groenberg High School. God works in strange ways. We spent over an hour taking everything off the pallets and sorting and putting it to one side. It was like Christmas and birthdays all in one. And the children trying clothes on and Amy beaming as cartons were opened up. We then got to the last items. The piano. Francie eventually arrived with an electric lamp. <laughs> he was supposed to bring it at the beginning. But Amy said that he'd only come to see the piano. <laughs> <laughs> and we took this, all, all the bubble wrap off it. And he couldn't resist playing it. And he started playing worship songs. And I just had to ring Rona and David, who'd sent it. And Rona, you, you couldn't believe me, could you? When <laughs> I rang up, <laughs> where are you? <laughs> Has you gone out? <laughs> I she uh, say. And after 6,000 miles, it still sounded fantastic. It was a special moment, that. We took as much as we could back to Agape too, including all the toothpaste, soap, nappies, and the clothes that the kids had tried on. And we said that the 1,000 teddy bears that the school had um, collected, they're going to be given to the children in the community this Christmas, what had been originally planned, so, which was fantastic. And a lot of the clothing will be for families in the community. That answered some of our worries that they might be overwhelmed with all the clothes at the orphanage. That evening I slept well. Thursday morning, Amy and Gary had, de- Harriet had departed at 5am to go to Cape Town. And I must admit, I woke up feeling really elated. I couldn't keep still and I kept singing a song over and over again. and I had tears rolling down my face. I then spent some time in the Sippy House and with the children in Agape too, who came in from the community at 7.30. They're all fed and then spend time together before going into their classes. Over 100 children each day and over 350 on Friday. Quinton arrived to take me around Pineview on a walkabout. He'd grown up here and he knew everybody. We met people from the PCD, Pineview Community Development. It's a non-profit making project, trying to teach skills and give people a sense of dignity and worth. Mark and his colleague, who make stoves in the backyard, a bricklaying scheme and pallet repair project. Quinton said the men of the area had only wanted to laze about drinking and taking drugs which they bought in the Shabines. And at weekend it was such a dangerous area, with rape and violence a normal occurrence. We went along a road where all the local gangsters lived. Pineview School and the church are right by it. And the hill which at night was a drug den. They're going to cut those trees down apparently. So that they can see what's going on there. This is John. He's a local gangster from the Money Lover Gang. Whose rivals in the 48 gang often fight with pangas and guns. I don't know if you can see it, he's got a, 20, a two and a six tattooed on his body there, but on either side. And the tattoos of guns, etc. Andrew met another John, who actually came to Christ and works in Agape. He was a man that, you know, everyone used to fear, just like this John. A gang men- member friend, Bacchus, who'd recently come to Christ through Herit was currently awaiting trial. And this chap had been in the same gangers, um Bacchus. These men were taking scrap a mile away and would get the equivalent of 50 pence for this scrap to feed their habit. And this lady, Therese, and daughter Christiane invited us in to see her home. And then at the back of the house, we met Daly, He'd been on drugs since he was eight, starting with cannabis, then mandrax at 13, and now took, which we know as crystal meth. He'd never been to school in his 25 years. We prayed for him for some time, that he came to know Jesus and his love. We then spent some time at Gromberg High with Anthony Hess. And Quinton talked about the vision for linking the three schools together and how happy he'd been when he'd been at school, but how shocked he'd been when he returned from university and and work and came to the area he'd grown up in, with many of his school friends now either being infected with HIV AIDS, in criminal gangs, or even dead. We then visited Pastor Paris from the Living Word Church where Quinton and Margie's wife worshipped a church that started in Grabau in a house then in a tent in the squat area before moving to Groenberg High School and then they were given the church frame which then lay on the ground for months on end but following the time of prayer they erected the structure and were immediately then given the funds for the roof and then the walls we spent time in prayer for the community it had been a busy day in Herrick called to see where we were I promised Quinton that I'd attend their community prayer meeting on Friday at (laughs) 4am. That was going to be a long day, (laughs) because I was flying back that evening. (laughs) And so I had 16 hours journey (laughs) on the way back, but it was a good time, I can tell you. And then we went with Herit to Somerset West Mall. Herit explained to me how some of the funding took place at Agape. One day a couple who visited Agape too were concerned that there was no proper garden by a sippy house. Here said the fence had been trampled over and drug users spent time in their habit in these trees and not much grew there anyway. The lady explained that her husband was terminally ill and that they wanted to donate the money for a garden of remembrance which would benefit Agape as well. And since then everything has grown in abundance. The area where the lapper and the blue Shins block and chalets used for the weekend camp was also overgrown. They were given a lot of trees by someone in the area but Herrick said they would need water to enable them to grow and he prayed for water. One day Herrick was walking by the lapper and he saw this man walking looking at the ground. He asked what he was doing and he said, you need to dig here and he marked the area with a red peg. Herriot was amazed by this, but then nothing was done for some time later. And then a couple came from America to stay with them. Whilst walking in the play area, they saw the red marker, and they asked him what it was. And Herriot said, Oh, that's where we've got to dig a well. The woman burst into tears. And Harriet asked her husband if he'd said something wrong. He said that at the airport before leaving America, an unknown man came up to him and said, You will build a well in Africa. Just amazing. Herod also said. If he sat down to prepare a budget. To run Agape. He might as well die. Because he couldn't even contemplate how much it cost to operate. And just trusted in the Lord. I would had a funny time when. (laughs) One of the men from the Rotary Club. (laughs) Just didn't understand what was going on there. And he said. He said, what happens to the children here after 18? And Herod said, well, they're family. He said, it's what happens in any family. And this chap couldn't even comprehend what Herod was talking about and how he just put his faith in God. That same man was the man (laughs) that got some of the communications wrong as well. He was asking Herod to sort of justify things. That evening was Bible study at Agape One. I was really happy to attend, but then Herit said we'd leave the car and compound, and walk over to the squat to see if we could get some people to join us. It was going dusk and there were small fires burning outside some of the houses, with children and youths roaming the area. Although I was nervous, I felt safe. If you know what I mean. <laughs> We met Bacchus's wife who told us she'd heard from him in prison awaiting trial. He'd probably get a long sentence as he had lots of previous convictions to be taken into consideration. She was looking after several children and unable to come to the study group. We met some other men who said they would come over later, but we didn't think they'd turn up. We arrived back at Agape One and joined the group. It was being run by Ferguson's father. Andrew you remember Ferguson yeah which this was a real encouragement to Herit he was one of the first people from the community to come in and run a study group in the 16 years that Herit and Amy had lived there Herit said to me one day he said I can't understand why people don't just come to the Lord here Herit then had to leave and then two men came in one looked in and left, but the other, a hardened drinker, came in and stayed for a while. After about five minutes, he left, and I felt guilty for not going after him. They'd spoken in Afrikaans and they'd laughed, but I didn't know what was being said. But I did wonder if we'd been welcoming to this man, who must have had difficulty in coming into a Bible study group. We were studying from Hebrews 10, verse 19, what was read before. And it calls us to persevere and to be unswerving in our faith. It goes on later referring to rejecting sinful ways. And I really felt that I should have gone after that man. I can draw comparisons to church life here. Sometimes. Now we're a caring church. But do we welcome everyone or just those that we like? And how do we impact on one another? I can recall a recent event where church members put chairs and tables together in a large oval and were chatting amongst themselves while visitors were left to chat on their own or with a few people from our church. Now, I'm not being critical here. I include myself in this. Do we open our hearts to everyone in our church or just those of our age group or those that we get on with? I made a decision whilst away that we would continue to lead prayers for the community. No one else has come forward anyway, as far as I'm aware. But that we look at linking it to other needs in the community. And our community has many needs. Sally has spoken about upfront church, but we need to be aware of needs within our church as well. We need to be upfront with ourselves before we can look at the needs of the community. I've used for a long time a statistic that you have, if you have a roof over your head, if you have loose change in your pocket, and if you eat three meals a day, you're amongst the richest 10% people of people in this world. That includes people on income support to footballers. The amazing fact is that the 90% who have so little are prepared to share what they have with you. Something that was privileged to experience in my time at Agape. Amen. And I know Roni is going to come up and pray now. But just before, Rona, I think we should pray anyway. Lord, you're such a a wonderful, loving Father. You pour out so much love onto us, Lord. And I just pray that we open our hearts. That we use the gifts that you've given us. And that we use those gifts, Lord, to glorify you. And we just pray for our brothers and sisters. Particularly Agape. I know, Lord, that they're praying for us. Lord, we just lift them before you now. In your precious name.
0: Amen. Amen.